Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram. With me, per usual, my producer, Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, we got a special episode today. One, actually, we've been crowing at the top of our lungs for the last week. It is my pleasure to announce that rejoining us, the Golden State Beat Order. For The Athletic, the host of the House of Strauss podcast, a longtime friend of this show, and an author whose book, The Victory Machine, is so eye-opening and engaging, it circumnavigated a global pandemic to become nationally acclaimed in numbers one, two, and three on Amazon's bestseller list for sports, Mr. Ethan Sherwood Strauss. What's going on, Ethan? That's a hell of an intro. I'm happy to be on, guys. Yeah, man. Uh, A couple of things about that intro. One... I didn't know that a book could occupy one, two, and three on the same list, so I was impressed by that. But two, maybe more importantly, I was really hoping to impress you with the word circumnavigate. Did it work? I mean, where are we standing? No, I was impressed by it, but you're a lawyer, so I expect that kind of perspicacity. Well, actually, not perspicacity. That's not really where I'm going. I I expect that high level of lexicon from a lawyer. You you bastard. You bastard. You just, I mean, you blow me right out of the box. This is is the condition that the Warriors faced, where high expectations, (laughs) uh, they're very hard to impress people. But what you were saying about occupying all three places, uh, there's the hardcover, there's the paperback, and the one I'm most proud of, just because I, you know, I, I, I'm no, I'm no, you know, Morgan Freeman, David Attenborough, getting in that studio, doing the audible. Um, you know, it's like doing your own stunts. That's the one I'm really proud of. <laughs> you know, I couldn't really follow what you were just saying because I was looking up the definition for perspicacity. But I, I mean, I think I caught the last part of it, and I am just as impressed when we first started, man. Uh, Real question before we get into the Warriors and the books. I mean, strange times, man. How are you doing within the uh, the COVID scare? I think I'm doing okay, given the circumstances. You're always aware that it's a tough time for everybody, and it's a tougher time for some. Um, it's just surreal. And we all miss certain things. We're all very uh, up in the air as far as what is going to happen in the future. Um, so yeah, I, I'm doing okay. I give myself about a, a five, a five as far as how I'm doing through this. 
Uh, settle an argument for me. And first, let me bring everybody into the fold. I know that you've got a new baby son. Um, I know you've got a significant other. Here's the argument. I was just on a Zoom meeting with friends, kind of a pseudo happy hour. And some of my friends are single. Other of us are uh, married men with kids. You know, I've got a four and a half year old. What do you think is harder, being quarantined alone or being in a house with a significant other and child? It's so hard to compare because it's, it, there are things that are difficult, but they are fulfilling and they give you meaning. And I would argue that being with your family and trying to work is one of those things. So it's almost like comparing climbing Mount Everest versus being stuck in solitary confinement. And they're just so <laughs> different and different in terms of how trying they are. But I think I, I would rather go with a sense of accomplishment um, versus being holed up. That's, that's my take anyway. I, I think I agree with that, although I will throw out this quick public service announcement. If like suddenly I stop tweeting or these episodes stop coming out, somebody call the police because my wife has finally <laughs> killed me. Um, you know, and so like, I, we, we need to, yeah, we need to have this out there. And if they keep coming out, then we're doing great. But I, I don't know, man. I at least wanted some evidence if that makes any sense. Mm. <laughs> it makes sense. I, uh, another quick piece of logistics, man, uh, before we move on to substance, just because if I'm the only person who knows this, it's going to make me feel awkward the entire time. And I need you to know it. So Maxime, who you just met off record, he's our master of all things, as you heard me introduce him. He is a huge fan of yours, man. Um, in oh, fact, okay. this is, this is a quote. I, uh, I'm pulling from a text I got from him. He thinks of you as his quote, favorite sports writer today. And I don't, if I was a professional, I probably wouldn't bring that up, but I want you to kind of feel <laughs> awkward about this with me, man. So Maxime, am I, am I speaking out of turn here or am I only, uh, on the no, I, uh, I think it's really important that we all air all of our private text messages so that we're all on the same page about what's going yeah, no on problem. in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah that's what I was hoping. You know, so we, well, now there's just a lot of pressure on me to live up to it, I suppose. <laughs> and, uh, or you go the other way. I could do a never meet your heroes thing and just be a total, uh, but it introduces a new element to the podcast, so it's a good thing. And thank you, by the way. Oh yeah, my pleasure. I've, I've uh, yeah, I've enjoyed you for 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 years now. I've enjoyed your writing, um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate the lens that you bring. And um, you kind of you toe the line nicely between actually providing basketball analysis um, and bringing in a lot of um, the type of maybe not so much pop culture, but references to um, things outside of the basketball world that make me feel like. Um, I'm not an insane person for spending so many hours thinking about what happens on the hardwood. Yeah, I'll do the cliche sort of compliment deflection. Checks in the mail, buddy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> checks in the mail. There you go. Well, I'm, I don't know if you if you have another 25 minutes, Ethan, but actually I've got a bunch of private letters that Marcus has written to his ex-girlfriends that, uh, <laughs> that I'd like to read you to. So, I mean, if you wouldn't mind, just sit back. It, it, you, know, you guys haven't really met, so I want yeah. you to get it. Cool. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. It's a good way to know uh, people. The main reason we wanted to talk to you is because your book, The Victory Machine, is kicking ass, man. Um, we all read it. We all loved it. And I've got so many things I want to cover with you about it. But before I touch your book, I want to ask you a couple things about you. Uh, simply put, because you have been up to so many things since the last time you and I spoke. Uh, you started a new career with The Athletic. You got a crazy successful podcast. You put together this book that's dominating what sounds like all possible portions of the print media. Um, so let's start by talking about you. And let me ask you this. What led you to writing the book? What, what initially sparked the concept? Um, I always wanted to write a book. 
And initially, I wanted to write a book on the NBA underworld. Uh, all that stuff, I, I love it. Uh, and I love subcultures in general. And I think that's what I pitched the book as. But then when we started to get indications, I think that offseason, that this is going to be Kevin Durant's last with the Warriors, um, it necessitated a shift just because that's too interesting a dynamic. So um, it evolved from a generalized NBA to a Warriors-specific uh, last season, last dance, if you will, situation. And maybe that still leaves the basketball underworld on the table. Um, I'm not sure mm. if I'm ever going to write that book completely. Uh, but that's that's how that process went. When did you make the switch? I mean, literally right at the outset of the year? Was it after the Draymond KD exchange? I mean, when did you realize, okay, I need to change this focus? When Katie was yelling at me in that press conference, I was texting my publisher <laughs> simultaneously, <laughs> barely paying attention. It really seemed like the moment. I'm, you know, I, I don't exactly know when I made that shift. I think it was sometime in the winter, um, but I'd have to go back to the emails to, to see. But it was sometime mid-season where it just seemed, look, this season is so absorbing um, and interesting in the way that it's all taking place that I, I don't know if I'll even have time to do the research necessary for the other thing. And so, uh, and it also dovetails with some of those underworld elements. So sure. yeah, I think it happened around the winter time that there was a strategy shift. Enjoyable, exhausting, both. I mean, what's what's the process of writing a book? How much did this take out of it? Um, it was, yeah, it was pretty exhausting, but it also was so for reasons that I don't think other people necessarily have for their own book. So if you're thinking about writing a book, uh, I'm not going to dissuade you from it. Um, I think I and Marcus and maybe other sports writers have this robbing Peter to pay Paul issue where you're worried that what you're doing is taking away from your regular readers. So uh, to try to overcome that, I think the very first person, I'll write the occasional first person article uh, but usually not. So that, that allowed me to differentiate the tone. So I knew when I was in book world sure. versus when I was in article world. Um, and I think that was necessary just for not going so crazy. But I could also rely on a lot of material uh, accumulated over the years. And so I don't look at it as, oh, my God, I'll never write another book again. I look at it more as, okay, I have an understanding of the ropes and the yeah. rules and the process. And I feel as though it will be more streamlined the next time around. And so I'm looking forward to the next time I get to do something like that. To borrow your analogy, you've already climbed or climbed Mount Everest once. You know the route. It's not going to be easy the second time, but you at least know what the hell it encompasses. So that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. What's Has Radio Ethan read the book? And if so, what does he think about it? <laughs> Radio Ethan cannot, cannot speak and come to the phone right now. I'm very sorry to say just because my son is downstairs napping. Uh, but I'm sure he would absolutely, uh, absolutely skewer me and for the way that I've covered Kevin Durant, and he would skewer <laughs> Kevin Durant for the way I've covered Kevin Durant. He would play both sides of that. I'm well, certain of that. We need an addendum to this podcast. I need Radio Ethan's take on uh, on this book at some point, man. We'll, we'll bother you when your when your kid's not sleeping. Um, let me ask you this. So you've noticed that everybody has from the moment this thing hit the shelves, it spread like wildfire. ESPN reported on it. The local media was all over it. Social media was eating it up. And it, it's obviously well-deserved. This thing is really well-written and has a ton of information we need to know. But is it weird to see your stories become the center of the sporting world like that? I mean, I, I, what is something like that like? Well, it's especially weird because 
being at the center of such a thing is in the book. So it gets very, it gets very meta. It becomes an MC Escher drawing that you're living through. Um, yeah, I'm of two minds. I know that it's good when it's on first take and people are yelling at each other about it. I know it's good for sales, but I just have never emotionally liked the process. I just yeah. never, I never, I never enjoy that. Um, and so you just look at it as um, a necessary evil. Um, everybody talks about, oh, sports books aren't as good as they were back in the day because there's a lack of access and they used to fly on the planes of the players and they used to go out for drinks and everything else. I think it's more that people don't want to get aggregated and yeah. getting aggregated changes how your subject is going to respond because it just changes the nature of the questions they're getting um, versus it's just in a volume somewhere and people kind of know. Uh, I think the aggregation game is an uncomfortable one. That makes sense to me. Um, and let me ask you this. So, I mean, I, I've had the opportunity to meet you. You are a very personable person. That's always been true. And I, you've worked with the Warriors forever. You've worked around the league forever. So I'm sure you have a ton of really well-established relationships. This book also does not pull punches, and it does pull the curtain back. Are you worried about this affecting any of those relationships? Is that even something that you have to worry about when you're writing a book? Take me through that. Yeah, I I always have concerns about that, and there's a recognition of it. But ultimately, I don't want to cheat the reader, um, yeah. or the listener, and I'm I'm usually more concerned about am I not being honest or sharing everything that I should be sharing because I'm worried about the people in the inside circle of whatever versus entertaining um, entertaining everybody because I think that a lot of times. A lot of sports writers, great sports writers, will say, oh, I'm not going to say this because I'm saving it or I'm going to get a better story for hiding it. And then that's just a rationalization because they don't want to deal with the emotional discomfort sure. of saying it. And there's no bigger story they're getting out of it in the end. So, yeah, I mean, the short answer to your question is, yes, I have those concerns, but that comes with the territory and right. you just have to deal with it. It's part of the job. Were you surprised by anything that you learned? I mean, so I, I heard you. I mean, essentially, you looked around. You were in the middle of history. You might as well chronicle it, you know, and then what an amazing book it ultimately came out to be. Um, but in this process, as you started scratching the surface and looking into what led to the dynasty and what broke it up, did you find anything that legitimately surprised you? Um, did I find anything that surprised me in the process of doing this? Um, you know what's strange? I, I most definitely did, but I can't necessarily look back and think of some eureka yeah. kind of moment where I was like, I was shocked by this, or this is, you know, I've, I've been in it. I've just been in the belly of this particular beast for so long that it's, it's difficult to really know when I was even surprised by something. And in sports, we tend to convince ourselves that we saw whatever was going to happen after the fact. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the Warriors perhaps haven't gotten enough credit for some of what they've done is that they're the overdog. So if they come back in the second half against the yeah. Rockets in game seven, it's like, oh yeah, we all knew they were, knew they were going to win that series. Well, nobody at the time was so confident in that. <laughs> That's exactly time, right. You guys yeah. weren't at halftime. So yeah, I mean, I'm not well, giving you a good answer to your question. I mean, I'm sure it happened, but I've deceived myself into thinking I was never surprised by now. Yeah, confident. I I think I was sobbing at halftime of Game Seven against Houston. So no, man, I I wasn't expecting them to become uh, 
storming back. And I wasn't going to ask you this until later, but it, it's going to eat through me if I don't do it now. Um, so, I mean, one of the big moments of last year's season mm-hmm. was Katie coming after you out of nowhere during that press conference. You've already talked about it. You know, the, the grow up moment. You've obviously been around the noise for so long. Is it bothering you more this year? Is it louder this year? It's unnecessary. You got to do Ethan Strauss who come in here and <clears throat> just give his whole opinion on stuff and make it seem like it's coming from me. And he just walk around here, don't talk to nobody, just walk in here and survey and then write something like that. And now y'all piling on me because I don't want to talk to y'all about that. I have nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't know who traded Porzingis. They got nothing to do with me. I'm trying to play basketball. Y'all come in here every day, ask me about free agency, ask my teammates, my coaches. You rile up the fans about it. Y'all let us play basketball. That's all I'm saying. And now when I want to talk to y'all, it's a problem with me. Come on, man. Grow up. Grow up. Yeah, you, grow up. Come on, bro. I come in here and go to work every day. I don't cause no problems. I play the right way. Well, I try to play the right way. I try to be the best player I can be every possession. What's the problem? What am I doing to y'all? We're talking. We're talking. So? Who are you? Why do I got to talk to you? Tell me. Does that is that going to help me do my job better? Nah, bro. I didn't feel like talking. Um, if I was standing where you were, and I have zero experience in that, zero. I've, I've never you know, fielded a question from Durant. I've never asked him anything. Um, but I would have been intimidated. I, I would have been put off. It just would have been such a weird thing to suddenly being screamed at by an NBA superstar. For you, I mean, like personal experience, how was that, man? Was, was it scary? Was it surreal? I mean, I guess just tell us about your personal experience through it. It was more just surreal because you're in a room full of people and you're the focus of something. And so you're aware that people in the room are looking at you. And then later on, there's a, an awareness that it's on TV. And yeah. then you start wondering, okay, how is this all playing out? Um, <laughs> one warrior was laughing about it and saying, what is he doing? Like, Ethan's going to be on first take. Uh, and I was thinking, am I? Like, how does this work? Like, do you want to call him first take and they fly me out there to sit in the middle as Stephen A and Max Kellerman yell at each other? I, I, what is what is this process of being within a controversy, to be called out? That's always the term. You were called out. Yeah, right. And yeah. so, yeah, it was, you know, it was slightly... But, you know, there's also no manual on, on handling it. I think Stephen A. at some point was saying that I should have been defending myself and defending my credentials. And I thought, yeah, he'd be right. Maybe I should have been. But I just never I never wanted to just seem like even more of a jerk than I already am. Yeah. And started like, I have talked to so many people. Yeah, there's so right. much I know. I know everything. I'm the best journalist in the just, it just seemed like a losing battle. So I wrote something in response and for the most part didn't touch it. After it happens, I mean, so you're obviously friends, I would imagine, with most of the writers in the room. You guys have worked together forever. But that thing happens. Suddenly you're kind of a part of the story, right? So can you even yeah. talk to your friends about it? You know, Can you even go like, oh, man, that was so <laughs> stressful? Or do you have to be worried that they're going to report that? You know, There's got to be a weird dynamic uh, that comes I, out of that. I didn't even think about that. Um, uh, I was curious about it all, but eventually, as mentioned in the book, I mean, I think your happiness is inversely correlated with how much time you spend 
thinking about how people are, are thinking about you, yeah. they're talking about you. And so um, I really, I mean, it, it was a little weird because I had to write about it in the book, but I didn't read widely on what was said because I never wanted to touch it. I, I did not, I, I was not an expert on how that situation was sure. received or written about because it felt like um, not the best idea to just consume every single article that would, <laughs> that would mention me. I, I think that makes perfect sense. And what you said in the book that really caught my eye was one of the things you did in response was reach out to Warrior Security because you've seen interactions with the superstar player end up with splashback from fans, you know, attacking the reporter, attacking the reporter's family. And you were worried about wait, wait, that. I don't think, wait, wait, wait. I don't think I reached out to Warrior Security. I don't think that happened. I mean, that would be an interesting, an interesting tactic. I don't know why um, not. just... I will defer to you. Obviously, it's not my my own personal experience, but I, I thought that I pulled that from the book. I'm like, wow, how do they edit this thing? No, I don't, <laughs> think I, I don't think I did that. I don't think I had any sort of conversation with Warrior Security. I mean, I know Ralph Walker, Jeff Security guy, but yeah, so I don't. Same. You hired Mike Tyson. I don't. You, you hired Mike Tyson for your own personal security. Is what happened. That, that's a really interesting story. Okay, and then uh, then uh, then if I'm mistaken, my apologies, man. I must have uh, I must have read that wrong. Well, I'll tell you what. Why did anybody? I, wait, I want to make sure. I want to make sure. I want to make sure though. I want to make sure that everybody else in the room. That wasn't in the book. Yes, Maxine. everybody else. Maxime, can you give me? Uh, you're out there. Was there any any line in there about the security portion? Yeah, I mean, I, I we were talking about this just this morning. Um, so you know, maybe it's just a misread. Um, oh, I think I took like web. I think I took web security measures. Okay, uh, you you said I checked into our security. I, I wasn't too keen on that happening to my family, so I checked into our security on that end. Oh. Ethan, what you don't know is we've studied this book like the Torah. So, I mean, it's going to be really hard. <laughs> yeah. to, uh, no, I, what I definitely, okay. So, so what I definitely did, what I definitely did was that the various apps I was using not be crackable or to also have it be a private account for Instagram. Just because I remember when Royce Young was reporting on the KD thing, he said the Celtics were out. There was just a bunch of crazy towny Celtics fans who flooded, <laughs> you know, flooded his Instagram page, all his vile stuff. And so that was something that I was thinking about. And that was something that I was worried about. Yeah, it's really more of a digital assault. It all happens digitally versus, I, you know. I tell you what, I welcome this disagreement only because it gave us an opportunity to show you we're not just one of those shows just pretending, man. We read the hell out of this book no, no, and we really enjoyed no, it. I, 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 no. I, yeah, I, 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 now, 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 now you've got me wondering. I've got to look at the initial. Anyway, you were saying, you were saying. Um, what I'll use this as a full-blown transition to go into the book. And I, I have a note right at the top of my page here: "Do not kiss Ethan's ass." So this is going to be the lone exception to that. Great f-ing book, man. Um, I, I have been a Warriors fan for thirty years. I eat up behind-the-scenes stories. That's just what I want. If every sports page gave me only that. I'd be a very happy one. And this is is filling that need to the very brim. So I really enjoyed it. And what the three of us have done, man, is, is we went through it. I don't, and we're not going to give away your product for free, very obviously, but we've pulled some excerpts out that I think kind of give a sense of the behind the scenes knowledge that you're dropping. And then we have some follow-up questions uh, for each of those excerpts, if you're down. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um, 
Here's one that blew my mind uh, and also made it into the local media. It has to do with the Splash Brothers. Quote, the Warriors attempted to trade Steph Curry and Klay Thompson for Chris Paul in 2011. It was far from the only time Curry was shocked, but in this instance, the deal was very close to completion. Myers made the offer and Hornets GM Del Demps was receptive. The catch was Chris Paul, who wanted out of New Orleans, but had no intention of playing for the Wobegon Warriors. The Hornets weren't the only organization to narrowly lose out of the deal of a lifetime. According to one GM, the Warriors were blind lucky that they were unsuccessful in trading Steph and Clay together for the stars they offered them together for. There were many, many people they tried to get and fail. So this stuck out to me for obvious reasons. Um, I know that Clay was involved in trade rumors. But one of the times you and I first spoke to one another, we were talking about the possibility of sending out Clay for Kevin Love. But I didn't know that Steph had also been sh uh, shopped around. When you found that out, were you shocked by it? No, I mean, we've been talking about it behind the scenes for, I mean, not behind the scenes. I want to make it seem like there's an inner circle, an inner party that knows everything. But you've got to remember, Steph in 2011 was not Steph Curry of today. And yeah. I think the Warriors aren't happy with the phrasing on it because other GMs say shop. You know, they say shop when I talk to other GMs. And the Warriors say, no, you know, I think shop is something different to them. Shop is like come and get them versus we're talking about them in trade deals potentially. Yeah. But I would probably defer more to the other GMs and it makes sense. I don't think they should run from it. I don't think they should be ashamed about it. It was a situation where nobody thought Steph Curry was going to be an all-star. He had these debilitating ankle injuries. Yeah. Um, there was a new ownership. There's a new ownership involved. Um, and so it made sense for them to explore every option. It's not the typical situation of a number one pick where you're just not even thinking about it while they're on their pathway to uh, ultimately winning an MVP award. So I wasn't completely shocked by that. It just, again, it seems shocking in retrospect, given what we know now. Yeah, I mean, 2020 hindsight kind of thing. Um, I've, I've thrown out the word CP3. You and I just said love. Were there other superstars' names you heard who they, quote unquote, shopped them for? I've heard, yeah, I've heard other superstars' names. Um, thinking do i want to get aggregated you know do i not want to get aggregated but yeah there there were other there were other super that the warriors had conversations about when it came to potentially trading stuff uh, can you give me like what one of them rhymes with or anything maybe they can't aggregate that <laughs> um my kind of hot outside i might be looking to get some jello yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and let me ask you this, and it's one I'm really excited to hear the answer for. It's a hypothetical that requires a time machine. So it's completely ridiculous. And because of that, I want to hear it. So we know that the trade offers didn't really become public back in 2011, or at least that they didn't make a big splash. Um, and we also know that the Splash Brothers went on to win three titles and everything worked out perfectly. Let me ask you this, all right, because you know the personalities. Let's take ourselves back to 2011. Let's say the team still tries to trade Steph and Clay. They're still unsuccessful, but this time both players find out about it. They're both eminently aware suddenly that the Warriors were willing to part with them. If that had happened back in 2011, do you think the Warriors still would have been put together this, this dynasty? Would they have still had the success? I'm a little lost on the hypothetical. It's just basically, wait, is it the same? If they had found out about it, you know, if, if the locker room had found out that they were I, 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 
I think that those guys are mature enough and have the priorities um, in the right places. Uh, but that's my take on Steph and Clay. But, but they might not have gotten as good a discount, I guess, from Clay. Because remember, he had a max contract the first time uh, he signed something max-ish that was just a little bit below market. Yeah. Maybe you don't get that little bit below market, and that has some consequences. That makes sense. To me. Let me take you behind my own scenes here. What you don't know is when I wrote that hypothetical question, I looked at it and thought to myself, you know what? That's kind of confusing. And I rewrote it like six times and came to what I thought was the best version. You saying, I'm not sure what you're talking about, was my personal nightmare. I am now sweating profusely. So thank you. <laughs> that's probably that's probably my fault as a listener. But you know, I, anyway. I appreciate you saying that, even if it's not true. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, let me get to chapter five of your book, which I know a lot of people are going to be excited to read and talk about. That's the one entitled Kevin and Me. And it starts off with this quote. I reached out to Kevin Durant for this chapter. The exchange via text ended as follows. Him, f*** you, f*** your sources and your book. How much money you paying me for my chapter? Me, ha, how much you think it's worth? Him, not enough. Ethan, how would you describe your relationship with Kevin Durant? A little bit on the rocks. <laughs> a little bit on the rocks. But, you know, if, hey, I'm, I'm willing to talk if, he, if he's ever willing to talk. And, uh, you know, when I reached out for comment for the book, I guess he could have given a standard no comment or even not responded at all. But instead, he decided to say something, which was a nice little garnish for the book, like some kosher salt that you sprinkle onto a chapter. So I'm, th I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. You should have put it as like your forward, you know, and Kevin Durant says about this book, f you, f your sources and your book. Nothing, uh, nothing would have hammered at home. Um, you seem uniquely qualified to answer this question. What makes Kevin Durant happy? Um, clearly not me. Uh, I think that's, that's one. Yeah. Validation temporarily. I mean, that's, that's, that would probably be my best guess. <laughs> Thank God I did not cut off that response. Uh, uh, who knows whether or not this is true from Durant, but let me ask you, ha have you ever felt what seemed like personal animosity from a player before? I still don't think it's personal. I mean, I, I, I it's not, as far as I can see, just because so much of it is based on what you said about them in public. I mean, that's huh. what the animosity yeah. is based on. It's, it's not like he, visited my house and saw how I deal with my son and went like, Oh my God, terrible parent. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's not like he actually knows me. Like it's all about what you're saying, which is understandable. And it's understandable that he doesn't like it or is angry at the source of it, but you learn to compartmentalize it because it's not, not really about, it's not really about you. It's about them and how you're talking about them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's to be expected. And sometimes, you have these situations where they come back after after it being not a great dynamic because of what you're saying about them, like with Harrison Barnes, for instance. And it's great when Harrison comes back because it was never about any it was never about a personality conflict. It was about yeah. something else. Do those conflicts ever get easier? And, and here, let me let me ask it a different way. Um, your book has a ton of phenomenal behind-the-scenes stories about tense interactions between you and Katie. Um, and I got one of them in front of me right now, uh, or at least a quote. Katie made you feel as though he thought more about you than the other way around. He almost flattered you with his yeah. spite. Or it would be flattering if the spite wasn't so Katie-focused. You were only hated insofar as how you reflected on him. 
you yeah. worked with hundreds of players, man, maybe thousands of players, you know, and your read on that makes a lot of sense to me that really their interaction is with your piece, not with you. But have you ever had a player interact with your piece like that? I mean, bring this kind of emotion to just work that you were putting out there. Yeah, I've had players get mad at me over stuff I wrote about them, and there will be a tense exchange in the locker room, or they'll be pissed off. And you know, I've had you know, David Lee, Draymond, you know, there's you know, a few others now that I think about it going down the list. But it's usually a one-day thing, or if it's not a one-day thing, they're just ignoring you because you're just off the list. That's just, you know, screw you. That's it. They won't talk for a while. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. The sort of obsessing and intense focus was really different. Just yeah. the idea that this was something that needed to be addressed and just, yeah, like it was, it was crazy. It was just not something I was used to at all because the idea is that you're, that you're some pissing. I mean, that's really the idea. Right. They shouldn't even have to bother to know about. Usually when a player is mad at something that you wrote, they will often phrase it as somebody sent it to me because it's not like they were ever looking out for it. <laughs> that's how it's said. So, you know, it's that's just normally how you expect it. But he's a, he's a different dude. Yeah, it just is what it is. Did, did that difference, so the first year you covered him, you know, in, in the honeymoon period for the Warriors – did you see any of that, any any of his need to constantly check in on what was going on? Or did that only surface towards the end? Um, I think I've seen a little bit of it, and it started to surface more and more towards the end. But there definitely was a honeymoon period where I think he was pretty happy for a time on the Warriors and um, thought that the championship would uh, would be this great. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as like that as it became, but, you know. He, I'm far from the only one that he reads. I think that's the other thing that I make mention of in the oh, book. I mean, I'm just yeah. one of, I'm just one of many. I mean, let's go to my favorite quote from the book, man, because I need your help with some language. Uh, quote: Truly, no slight was too small for Durant. In the Phoenix Road game following the grow up incident, KD confronted San Francisco Chronicle beat writer Connor Letourneau. Connor's crying. Over 40 minutes into a podcast, he'd offer a theory on why KD might want to follow Kyrie Irving to the Knicks. You might wonder. Was this podcast hosted by Stephen A. Smith or some other titan of the industry? Not exactly. Warriors Huddle is hosted by two genial fans for whom this is a hobby. You have a command over the English language. I don't, Ethan. Let me ask you this. When you wrote two genial fans, did you mean two incredibly well-informed and talented podcasters? Or I, I just wasn't sure. <laughs> I was trying to do this delicate dance of conveying <laughs> that it was strange that he had listened to this whole podcast without crushing you guys. And I, that was the that was the difficulty. I remember in my garage trying to say, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I <laughs> convey that they yes, they have an audience, you know, they have an audience and and whatnot. Uh, but it's also a little weird that Kevin was listening to this. This isn't blasted in from serious satellite radio. It was it was a very delicate dance doing that. Let me let me take you out of this prism, Ethan. Uh, if if you do write another book about the CD underworld of uh, the NBA, and you mention the Warriors Huddle in any context, you could call us like Hitler's podcast, and I would be totally. You know, like any publicity all, is good. All, all publicity is good publicity. That's exactly right. But you know, I, I can say. Kevin Durant listens to uh, to our podcast. Say, say it. I'm having shirts made up, Ethan. Of course I am. But but this wasn't just a way to give you a little bit of 
it was a real question. Have you ever worked with a superstar or any player um, who you knew to listen to, for lack of a better word, a genial podcast? You know, or or is no. this really specific to his kind of insecurity? I'm, maybe it exists, but I've never known it to be so. I've never, I've never encountered any player who said I was listening on this podcast at the 20 minute mark, and you said blah 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 blah. I mean. Many will respond to aggregation as Bleacher Report takes a snippet and tweets it. That's something, but not not the whole not the whole podcast thing. Generally, the idea is they're too busy for that kind of deal. I should have followed this up when we were talking about Katie's just direct relationship with the media. But another thing you talked about in there was, for lack of a better word, this is my word, not yours. That Katie became kind of jealous of the way that Steph was handled, not only by the media, but by the fans. Um, in fact, I got the thing right here in front of me. Uh, I tried to make a few points saying I didn't begrudge him for having leverage with his contract and insisted that I had good reason to write what I wrote. Katie wasn't impressed and accused me of trying to rile up Steph's fans. He expressed that was a constant theme in the Bay. All of his local guys just wanted to kiss Steph's ass at his expense. Um, and earlier I asked you, you know, during that first year, the honeymoon period, we didn't see uh, KD's need to hear or read everything about him. During that first year, did you see any of this pseudo-jealousy of Steph? Was that even on the table at all? I mean, if it was there, I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't something that I saw. Um, so I guess the first year, things were just more copacetic. But no, I didn't. I, I wasn't aware. You know, you, you knew that he was a little needy relative to the average star. I was yep. aware of that, yep. but nothing, nothing like what it ended up spiraling into. I, um, let me start this with an admission and then some cover. Uh, so admission, I, I mean, Durant's tenure here was unbelievable. It led to two championships. As a fan, I couldn't be more thankful. But even when he was here, I talked about Steph in more glowing terms than I did about KD. It had nothing to do with their talent levels. It had nothing to do with what player I liked more. It just had to do that I had a relationship, a seeming relationship with Steph that I had not yet built with KD. So the way I talked about him was different. The cover I'd provide you, we had uh, Connor on last week who verified every syllable of your story about KD's confrontation in the locker room in Phoenix and, and all of that stuff. But then he also said, when I gave him the admission I just gave to you, that maybe the local media did treat Steph with, with a, a little bit more favor than they did KD. You were in those locker rooms. You know, you've seen the local media interact with Steph for a long time and you watched them interact with KD the entire time he was in Golden State. Do you think there's any truth to the, the suggestion that what Durant's saying, that you guys favored or put Steph on a pedestal that he never reached? I, I, I can understand that feeling and there is some truth in it in the sense that this was always... Steph's franchise, and it was always going to be Steph's franchise. And right. you can make the argument that Kevin Durant is a better player. You know, when the all-time lists come out, that Kevin Durant should be higher in the list. Um, but when you're talking about a, a player's relationship with a franchise, that stuff really doesn't matter. It's about what you built together, how long you were there, your personal relationships. And honestly, to be frank, your likability. And Steph is a very likable person. Yep. Uh, there is not really anything negative you can say about the guy. 
and he was there from day one. He was you know, at the beginning of his career with Golden State. They were one of the worst teams in the league, and he was the driving force behind them becoming a dynasty. And so there's always going to be that relationship with the franchise. Your perception. I mean, listen, you know, I mean, here's, here's the thing. Things happen for reasons. And, you know, I see a lot of these former athletes and people who might be in Katie's camp or attached to it. The Warriors fans for how they didn't give him enough support. And, you know, you were signed in a one-year contract every year, you know? Like, if you want the fans to commit to you, you have to commit to them. And it's fine. It's fine. If you want to sign a one-year contract and that's what you want to do because you want that leverage over the organization, there is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. that. That is completely fine. It's something that he earned. It's just that you can't do that and then expect to be completely embraced over a guy who was drafted by the team and they saw become a star. That's just yeah. not, that's just not going to happen. If you, if your way of dealing with the organization is quite mercenary, then you will not get as warm a response from the fans. It just seems pretty logical. You phrased, and I loved the analogy of it. You phrased your book as an autopsy of the Warriors dynasty that you're kind of looking back. It's not just what created this thing, but what led to its demise. So, you know, give us your medical examiner's opinion and let me, um, let me ask in a specific way. Could the Warriors have done anything differently to keep this dynasty together? Or was this just fated to end when it ended? Hmm. I mean, maybe they could have made it more sustainable in a way. Maybe they could have had draft picks that worked out better. Those later huh. draft picks, those second yeah. rounders, those Patrick McCaws and Jordan. Maybe that would have extended things, given a little more life. But as far as the mood of everybody, because the thing that I think I've learned over this process is that the mood of the players might not be so important for winning the championship, but it's for damn sure important as far as keeping everybody in the same place after yeah. the parade. Um, and I just don't think that you can do much about it. It seems like it's a force of nature. The, the, there are diminishing returns when it comes to championships. Eventually, it's just called the effort for everybody. After they win the first one, they win a few more. And you know, we're watching the last dance right now. How happy does Scottie Pippen seem? Not right. very happy. Right. <laughs> not like, like Scottie Pippen is skipping around going, oh, my God, at this point in the documentary, I've won five titles, about to win a sixth, hooray. No, it's, it becomes a focus of why have I not gotten the validation I deserved in winning everything that I've helped win. And so I'm not trying to be an apologist for the organization, but I never looked at it as they screwed up in some way and could have kept everybody together if only they'd done X. I just don't see it. I just don't see it that way. You, Maybe you they should have kept Andre, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you, you have passages not only in this book, but also in articles for The Athletic. Um, and the articles are a little bit older. But what they're talking about is how Golden State occasionally changed their offense. And they changed it to cater to KD. And, you know, that changing an offense to cater to a superstar in and of itself is not a surprise. But changing an offense to cater to a superstar that previously was the most efficient offense on the face of the earth and led to a championship is a little bit of a surprise. And what it made me think, you didn't say this, but what it made me think was that the Warriors were just desperate to keep this guy happy. Um, and let me turn this into a question. And this is just your opinion. 
But if the Warriors had to choose, right, during that last dance, if they had to choose a championship that year or a new contract for KD, what do you think they would have chose? Oh, it all depends on um, you say the Warriors, the Warriors, the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors are comprised of different people. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I think Joe Lacob would have made that choice. I think he would have made that trade. I don't think Steve Kerr would have made that trade. Yeah. And this isn't ask and this isn't ask guys specifically. So maybe they would say, no, I disagree, but just knowing them, knowing how they've talked about things, I think it, it, it depends on the person. I think the, the, the people on the plane had more of a sense that the story had run out than the people who weren't on the plane going from game to game to game. I think it was easier for those people to think, maybe we can get KD back in the fold and just keep winning championships forever. So what you're saying is the people who got to spend day to day with KD kind of knew he was done. The idea of trying to keep him was no longer a goal that was obtainable. Yes. Okay. I gotcha. Um, and maybe at the same, maybe at the same time, there was an element of relief too. So why, what do you mean? Well, it's just who wants to keep doing this forever. <laughs> I mean, we'll keep, we'll keep doing it forever because that's what the whole thing is about, but it's an exhausting process. And, and in, I mean, when I'm watching the last dance, Jerry Krause is getting blamed for breaking everything up, but you can tell that it's not like Phil and Mike were chomping at the bit to make another run at seven. You know, you can get a sense that, it, that, that Krause is a, there's a bit of a scapegoat there. It's just, it's hard. You know, it's, it's natural to eventually want to take a break. And in the case of the Warriors, the injuries kind of mandated it. Yeah. I mean, I did, forgive me for, uh, for randomly getting sucked into a last dance take, but I, so I, I've obviously been loving it. And I, you know, Jordan for me and you and I are around the same age, so it might be the, similar to you, but I grew up with Jordan as a superhero, you know, not as a, a basketball player. And I read books like the, the Jordan rules. And I remember reading about Jerry Krause, but never seeing his picture. You know, the internet wasn't as big then. I mean, I just, I didn't have a way to see him. The first time they put his sweat or his fat, sweaty face up on the screen, it just immediately embodies the villain that I had previously read about. It, 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 it was a, a really interesting uh, match of the face that I had put together in my head and what they actually put up there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, he looks just kind of tubby. He doesn't look evil necessarily. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I became very fascinated with it. I became fascinated. How does a guy, he's a Washington, not Washington, he's a Chicago White Sox scout just get to run an NBA team as a GM. I mean, the 1980s were a wild time. Oh, 100%. Well, and then after that, how does that scout turn GM go to the owner and basically say, like, look, it's us or, or it's me or them. I want you to get rid of Phil Jackson, maybe just start rebuilding around Jordan, definitely drop Pippen. And the owner is like, you know what? I'm siding with the GM, not these superstar players who are about to win their sixth. It's almost as though Jerry Reinsdorf was making certain decisions <laughs> in the interest of uh, preserving his money and then presenting it as though that it all came from Jerry Krause. That's that's you know? exactly it's, yeah. weird, but it's it's definitely weird. He's like, like my my boss my boss Jerry Krause came to me and said I must do this and I must not pay Phil Jackson beyond this year. It's very <laughs> interesting. A, I, the other thing I like from Reisdorf last last dance take, but when they first come to him about the Pippen contract, he's like, oh yeah yeah, he was definitely underpaid, and I told him don't do that. You know, seven years is too long. And then like five minutes later, they're like, oh. 
if Pippen had come back, would you have renegotiated? Hell no. A deal is a deal. I'm not giving him a dollar more. So, you know, that guy took his money seriously. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's just. I got um, I got one thing that spins off of Last Dance since you brought it up, Bram. Um, so recently, uh, Draymond Green just went on a podcast with Maverick Carter, and they discussed how them the Bulls calling that last year the Last Dance kind of helped helped them rally around each other. Um, and then they brought the comparison. They said, "Is that the same thing that you guys went through, knowing it was your last year with KD?" And Draymond said, no, like what he wished would have happened was KD would have came in and said, this is it. This is my last year. Let's do it. You know, I'm not signing another one year deal. I'm not signing an extension or a new contract. I'm out. Um, Ethan, do you think that would have made a difference if KD would have came in? Because I think part of the the stress and some of the tension comes came from like your point earlier that KD didn't say anything about it. Like Draymond said, he he and Clay and Steph had to field all the questions about KD because KD never came out and just said, here's my answer. So do you think if KD would have done that at the beginning of the season, that would have changed even your approach to some of the questions you were asking throughout the season? Yeah, except I think that there's an exaggeration of how often we were asking about this. Um, the season itself had a considerable focus to it. And it's kind of like how KD was saying that I'm getting asked all the time about my free agency. And I'm just thinking, I mean, how often is that really happening? I, I don't see that. With that team at that time, it was mostly, oh, so you guys are winning. Oh, you're going for another win. Uh, okay, that's great. Okay, cool. It wasn't like there was this intense Northeast media focus all the time on the contract. Now, I think what Draymond's saying is probably true for, for him, right? Like he would have felt better if, if KD would have made a more final decision and made it more of an official last dance. But what probably would have been a bigger factor would have been KD just being way happier day to day going to work. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. It's a, not that the, the, the elephant, there's an elephant in the room, it's that the elephant is miserable um, or whatever tangled mixed metaphor I might use from the elephant in the room, uh, one that Draymond used. It was more just the constant uh, storm cloud uh, versus a lack of finality, if I had to get Well, and, and also to put your guys' two points together, and one of the things I pulled out of your book, it was that he wasn't a constant storm cloud. You point out the film sessions, that he would go you know, five, six, seven sessions at a time doing nothing, just looking at his feet, and then on the eighth one, suddenly pipe up with all of these observations. And so, you know, I would imagine that's just adding to the ambiguity that Marcus is talking about. Right when they're positive, oh, he's out the door. We shouldn't even be trying. Suddenly he's piping up. You're like, oh, well, maybe there is a chance. Maybe he's still carrying it. Yeah. He's, he's keeping people on the fence. It would just, it just make it harder. Well, and he's very, when he's happy, he's very engaging. He's a really fun guy to talk to. He's not just, not just one thing or one mood. But, yeah, I think the, the volatility of it, the up-and-down nature of it was wearing a lot of people. Maxime, I feel like Ethan's killing it. What do you think? Is, is he living up to your expectations? How you doing over there? Man? Give us give us an instant take. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm loving this. I've been actually I, – I wanted to circle back to something that, that came up right before we jumped into the last dance. That's sort of this meta-narrative around all of this. Um, and, and, Ethan, it's the way you end the book talking about uh, the distinction between Charles Barkley and, and Jordan and how even now there's this – 
um, perception that maybe Jordan actually isn't all that happy, whereas Charles Barkley, and, you know, I, I won't ruin the specifics of it, but, you know, seems to be doing all right. Um, he seems to be yeah. getting to hang out with, um, you know, with Shaq and, um, and bullshitting on TNT. And I, I felt like that was a, a little bit of a comparison in the sneaker chapter that I wanted to get your opinion on because um, you sort of implied that maybe this process of bringing Durant into the Warriors fold and therefore bringing Nike into the um, sort of Under Armour West Coast umbrella gave Steph a little bit of an out to stop being this like a overly beaten down face of a franchise. And I'm wondering like to what extent that was a, a retrospective learning for Steph or whether it's something that was like a part of his calculation, you know, I mean, like, are we ever going to like, has Steph basically gotten what he needed out of the NBA and is now moving on to greener pastures to the point that we might not actually have that same sort of fervent energy that we had prior to KD because he doesn't need sort of this status anymore. Um, I, yeah, I think there's something to that. And I don't think that having that number one status, is as enjoyable as one might think. I'm looking at this. Uh, I wish I knew about it when I was writing the book, but it's Rick Tellender uh, interviewing Michael Jordan, and it's in ESPN, the magazine. I don't know what year. It's a while ago. And I'm just looking at this quote from Michael Jordan. I've heard people say I'm the Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. That's hard to say. Babe Ruth is hard to say, by the way. I've heard people say I'm the Babe Ruth of this half of the 20th century. I don't know. Most recognized athlete, it seems that way. But man, it's lasted a longer than I anticipated. I never thought it would go on like this. I'll tell you, to remain a positive model in the public eye for so long, it takes a toll. It's a big responsibility that just goes on and on. Um, that's, that, I think that's probably what Steph was going through in a way, where you get to that status and it is a ton of pressure in a way that probably none of us can understand and you could only understand it if you were there in that moment. And it's interesting that Michael Jordan has got this thing that everybody wants and he's looking around wondering, when is this going to, when is this going to stop? Yeah, sure. <laughs> when do I get to let my guard down? This is a random follow-up um, and only tangentially related, but that's never stopped me before. Uh, we had Wes Goldberg on the show and he made a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of, but now completely agree with. He said, during this offseason, especially with the question and answer session with Dr. Fauci, Steph has unintentionally become the face of the league, even though he only played, you know, what, 18 seconds during the actual regular season. Would you agree with that? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. The league is a little bit absent right now. You know, yeah. This is like one of those cones or one of those uh, riddles, you know, who's the face of the league when there is no league? Uh, I guess Steph is the face of the league with league. <laughs> I'll take that. I What I think that sounded like is that you had a phenomenal answer that made my question seem really stupid. So I kind of resent you for that, but I think it's the right answer. Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'll, I'll take the punch nonetheless. A couple of quick hitters, and we'll get you out of here, man. Um, will Steph Curry, in your opinion, win another title in Golden State? Mm. Man, these are so hard. These are so difficult. So Steph's what, 32 right now? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that he will at least be on the team for another six years. I think that he has the kind of game that can age very well. 
So then it's about do the Warriors, can they form a championship within that time window? Whew. Um, maybe one more better. You know what? I got burned being too pessimistic last time we did this. I'll be optimistic. Fine. <laughs> one, one more championship. a boy. Last question. What do you want out of the draft? Is there a player who has your eye? Do you think they should trade and move down? What are you thinking? I like Killian Hayes out of France who played in the German League. He just, uh, he, he can really pass. And he's got all these step backs. He's a lefty. He's six foot five. He plays defense. Um, I like the idea of a guy who can play make and do something with the ball. So all the pressure is on Steph to do that. And I think you need to build a bridge to the future if you aren't trading the pick. So I like Hayes. And if I'm wrong, I will blame the uh, abbreviated season. Otherwise, I would have figured it all out, folks. <laughs> See, this is precisely why um, I'm such a big fan of you, Ethan, because I come from French roots and I'm um, subverting, subversively trying to make sure that the uh, the French nationals are, are well established within the Warriors uh, sphere. So thank you. Actually, cut that part. Cut that part. <laughs> immediately cut it as fast as yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Warriors fans yeah. don't want they don't they don't want another uh situation so. no no they, you know air france there's only one of those uh, and i'm all the way out ethan yeah. you are awesome i am very confident in saying that and i'm even more confident only one thinking it for everybody out there listening who needs more uh, ess in their life tell us where they can find your work where they can buy the book uh give us the full pitch well, you're very kind. Um, find my book, uh, The Victory Machine, wherever books are sold. If you can leave in a review, a positive review on Amazon, I'd be very appreciative about that. Um, and thanks so much for having me, guys. I'll keep on promoting and doing stuff at The Athletic as well. It, it's our pleasure. Um, I have no reason to say this. You've already come on the show. You've already done a great job, so there's no reason for me to kiss your ass. If you are a Warriors fan, buy this book. Real deal. Uh, it, it'll give you enough conversations to fill a lifetime, and it gives you a ton of behind-the-scenes knowledge, so it is just gold. Uh, with that in mind, I won't drag you through our own advertisements and say I'll say go Warriors, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Good, good.